Good morning, church. That was good. You guys are absolutely awake today. A couple of things I want to mention to you. Um, you should have received a couple of pieces of information. Uh, when you walked in this morning, there's a brochure, Life at Grace. And you can read all that information for yourself. But I would really encourage you to... Uh, participate in those things that uh, you feel led to do because it's an opportunity to be involved with other believers uh, here, other people who attend Grace, and some you may know, some you may not know. How many of you on this side know everyone on this side? How many of you on this side know everyone on this side? And who cares about the middle, right? We don't care. <laughs> You know, that's one of the challenges is to get to know the body of Christ and 
you know, we say good morning on Sunday, and we always ask how, how are you doing, and everybody's great, until you run up against one who's honest and says, not doing well. How do you handle that one? That, that's always fun. But I would encourage you guys to read through this and um, just uh, take notice of those events. And that's an opportunity, like I said, to fellowship with others. If you're visiting with us today or been visiting, I would really encourage you to be, be involved in that opportunity to get to know people here at Grace. All right? If you have any questions about any of those things, I think there's contact information there for you. If not, call the church office and Amanda or Shauna. They know all of it, so they'll be able to tell you what you need to know. I wanted to uh, read some scripture, but before I do, I guess it was, what's this, March, February, at our men's uh, breakfast, or it may have been this month, I don't remember, when Ron was talking you know, it's, it's something to try to listen at 7 o'clock in the morning, especially for a person who's not a morning person. But Ron was talking about reading uh, autobiographies. He's kind of been taking that challenge to read about the lives of different Christians and such. And so I was like, you know, I need that challenge. And I have a whole host of books down in my office and I thought, I need to pick up one of those books and just start reading once a month, try to read a book that tells me a little bit more about the life of a believer uh, who lived and, and lived faithfully. And, and I think I went to the smallest book that I could find, um, partly because um, of time, but it's about D.L. Moody. And in the very beginning of this book um, it says these words someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead don't you believe a word of it at that moment I shall be more alive than I am now I shall have gone up higher that is all gone out of this old clay tent into a house that is immortal um, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint. A body like unto his own glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. I was born in 1964 and I was born of the spirit in 1971. How about you? I told somebody the other day I was born in 1964, and they're like, man, Thad, you got to scroll down a long way. And I'm like, yeah, I do. You know, when you go to those sites and you have to scroll down, and it just keeps getting further and further. Um, but I wanted to read something to encourage us about this, and I'd like you to take your Bibles, and let's look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, let's read verses 13 through 18. In anticipation... Of the one who's coming for us, who is Jesus Christ the Lord. So why don't we stand, let's read these verses together. This is written in the context of 
believers who were questioning what was going on with those who had died and who had gone on. Paul, seeking to answer their question, writes with confidence, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Isn't that sad that there are so many people in our world that grieve without any hope? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And and this is just something to envision. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And Paul closes that section. Therefore, comfort one another with these words and those words are very comforting it's very comforting to know that my Lord and Savior is coming for me do you know the day of that change in your life let's pray together Lord um, thank you so much for the hope that we have in you in you alone there is hope in you alone there is life Lord, we look at our world today and so many things are crumbling around us. The family is crumbling around us. The church is unfortunately in many respects giving in to the philosophy of the world. Lord, help us to remain steadfast. Help us to remain strong by the help of your Holy Spirit that resides in us who believe. I pray, Lord, that this morning uh, we've come to this hour uh, ready to worship you. And that, Lord, if we're not ready right this second, that you would uh, put on our hearts and our minds to confess those things that are sin so that we might be clean vessels ready to be used by you for your glory. We pray for everyone here today that, Lord, um, you would, by your Spirit, convict those that may not know you of their sin and their need for a Savior, Jesus Christ. And for those of us that know you, I pray that we would really spend some time evaluating our walk with you. In the name of Christ, amen. I hope everyone that's here today has come uh, ready with open hearts to worship an amazing God. Are you ready to? Ready? you here for the amazing God that we worship? He is amazing. He's marvelous. He's wonderful. Everything that we can describe, he is a great, great God. So anyway, let's begin. I will sing the wondrous story. Let's all sing. A little more piano up here, please. 
I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. How he left his home in glory for the cross. And let's do the second verse. I was lost, but Jesus found me, found the sheep that went astray. Through his loving arms around me, drew me back into his way. Yes, I'll sing the wonderful story of the Christ who died for me. Sing it with the saints in glory, gathered by the crystal sea. Days of darkness still come o'er me, sorrow's path I often tread, but his presence still is with me, by his guiding hand I'm led. Yes, I'll sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me, sing it with the saints in service this morning and hope you pay attention to it because it talks about the wonderful love. That's the reason why we're here. He says that we love God only because he first loved us. And what a way that he showed his love for us. Can we ever repay him? No, no, we can never repay him for that. You know, but we, we still should uh, strive to be as much like him and to love as much like him as possible. But Jesus had a wonderful love for, for everybody. In Matthew and also in Mark, it, it says that Jesus saw the multitudes and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep that went astray. You know, Isaiah had said this several, uh, several uh, hundred years before that. He says that in, in verses 64, 6, he says that we are all like unclean things, that even our righteousness is like 
worthless, filthy rags. We're all like leaves that fade and that our iniquities and our sins are like the wind that just blows us away and there is no one who calls on his name. That's who we are. But Jesus came to be the shepherd that we need and to bring us back into the fold. In John 3.17, a lot of times we, we, we quote John 3.16 and we stop there. But John 3.17 is a very, very important verse because it says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, God looked beyond our faults and, and our unrighteousness and he saw the need for a Savior, so he sent his son Jesus to be the payment for our sin. Are we thankful for that this morning? Amen. We're thankful for that. There's a lady, Dottie Rambo, many of you might know, remember her, who uh, wrote, I, I was not aware, wrote over 2,500 songs. That's amazing. One of her favorite songs, or one of her, the ones that she's noted for, is kind of a short song, really. But it, says, it has these words, Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that bought me liberty. I do not know just why he came to love us so. He looked beyond my fault and he saw my need. And she says, I shall forever lift my eyes toward Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. How marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. I'd like for us to sing that song. You, you know the melody. And I just want us to sing together and think, put ourselves in her place, how Jesus came and he looked beyond our fault and he saw our need. Let's sing this together. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that brought my liberty. I do not know just why he came to love me so. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. I shall
still amazes me. Listen to the words. Sing along if you know the song. It's, it's been around for a while.
it's always a little bit different when they're walking out. They might just keep walking. <laughs> they might not come back. <laughs> uh, I don't want to miss the beginning, so how y'all doing? Um, I will say before they get in here that somebody asked me this morning, Thad, how you doing? I said, well, I feel kind of weird today. And uh, I don't know how you're going to take that, especially if you don't know me. You're like, what in the world is that guy talking about? <clears throat> but I think it's the nature of the subject that we'll discuss today that has me a little troubled because it's serious. Not that, you know, every other message is not, but this is kind of one of those that makes everybody in the room a little uncomfortable because one's forced to truly think about your connection with the Lord, your walk with the Lord, how that's going. And... I mean, you think about it. There's 168 hours in a week. How much time are we giving consideration to our walk with the Lord? Is that a good question? I mean, I look at it, and I have to answer that question in my own life. I mean, there's a lot of activity, a lot of things that go on in our week. You know, we have the issue of a job. We have the issue of family. We have the issue of friends. Um, we have the issue of work. And have you ever even considered that at the end of your day, uh, the thought, has it ever popped in your mind, how much time have I spent even thinking about the Lord today? Has that ever crossed your mind? But then to even have it go further than that, not only how much time have I considered the Lord in my own life today, but have I considered... That because my testimony is I belong to the Lord, that other people are watching my actions and listening to my words. You ever thought about that? Have you ever blown it in front of other people? Right? Sometimes the worst are Christians, it seems. Wayne Barber tells of two stories. I thought I'd read both of them. They're very short. In one small town, a restaurant decided... Now, this had to be years ago because they're talking about a Sunday night service. <laughs> In one small town, a restaurant decided to close on Sunday nights because the staff refused to work for the after-evening church crowd. The people who came from church were rude, messy, and left small tips. That last one, might you might go, <laughs> that I'll leave small tips. Okay. <clears throat> the other story that he shares is that in another town, a manager of a store... Uh, decided to sell concert tickets and after a good amount of time reported that some of the rudest people that they sold tickets to, to Christian concerts, were the Christians themselves. 
So when I read those, I thought, you know, there is a challenge, is there not, to what we say and what we do. So we say we belong to the Lord, but then how does our life look? What does the evidence display? Is that important? It is important. In this message today, we're going to have to consider our own walk with the Lord. And when we do, we're going to come to the end of verse 6, and we're going to see that the supreme example for all of us as we consider our walk is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So I want to take you through some thoughts. but I want to begin with this proposition that comes from the last part of verse 5 and the first part of or excuse me, in all of verse 6. Walking as Jesus walked gives evidence that one is abiding in him. Now, what we mean by that is that one is fellowshipping with him. Um, And we're going to see that that language is something that John was familiar with because he was with the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that the Lord told his disciples was abide in me. And that term abide has the idea of dwelling with the Lord, remaining with the Lord. It has the idea of fellowship, not relationship. But I want us to see, to begin with, um, verses 5b and 6, I want us to see the connection between the prepositional phrases that we have in front of us, and I know that some of you may not even know what a prepositional phrase is. Some of you don't care what a prepositional phrase is. But if you go to school and you study, your teacher is going to eventually, in Bible study methods, introduce you to prepositional phrases. Let's look at verse 5b and then verse 6. By this, we know that we are in him. Now, he's not talking here about relationship. He's talking about fellowship. Remember last week we introduced the fact there are a couple of different viewpoints as you work through this book. Okay, There's the relationship view and the fellowship view. I lean heavily to the fellowship view. In the book itself, there are times when he refers to relationship, but this is not one of those cases. He's talking about fellowship. By this, we know that we are in him. He's including who? Himself. Was John a believer? Answer? Yes. By this, we know, gnosko, by experience, by this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him. So you have the connection of in him at the end of verse 5 with the prepositional phrase in him in verse 6. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Wow, that's a really high standard, is it not? So... If I'm walking with the Lord, then what John is saying is it gives evidence 
then I'm abiding in him. What does it mean to walk like the Lord walked? That's eventually where we're going to end up. Because we have to ask the question, because John brings it up. Look at verse 6. He says, He who abides in him ought himself to do what? Walk in the same manner, or just as he walked. When was the last time that you considered how the Lord walked on the earth? You know, people long for examples. You long as parents for your children to see good Christian examples. You did. I wanted my boys growing up to see godly examples. And we can point to the scriptures and we can see godly examples. And we can look around this room and see godly examples. You can look in Christendom itself and see godly examples. You can go back and read books like the book about D.L. Moody and see godly examples. Perfect examples? No. But when we go and we look at the life of Christ, what do we see? The supreme example. The perfect example. We can't be him, but we can be like him in our walk according to what John writes here. So you have the connection of the prepositions. In fact, um, Stephen Cole says this, John equates being in him with abiding in him. Now it's important for you to know that some people take the last part of verse 5 and they connect it to the beginning of verse 5 in the previous section. But I, like many others, see it moving forward, not backwards. He says, John equates being in him with abiding in him. When was the last time you were ever confronted with, are you abiding in the Lord? When's the last time you can remember a Christian asking you, are you abiding in the Lord? Have you ever had that question asked to you or proposed to you? Well, I'll say this, based on what we're going to look at today, it seems to be really important. Because it connects to this idea of fellowship or intimate connection with Christ. So, Someone can say, I know the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. And we all go, that's awesome. But then we ask the question, are you abiding with your Lord? Are you in close connection with your Lord? Is it even important to consider? And the answer is yes. In fact, I think in Paul's language... It's a little bit different. I'm going to read kind of the way I see Paul and the importance of being close to the Lord. He talks about the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, and he says this, but I say walk by the Spirit, right? So if we're walking by the Spirit, we are being, what, led by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, We have the mind of Christ. What is it that Christ desires for us 
in our lives. And so this idea of abiding has to do with intimate, close fellowship with the Lord. And John's equating the two. What's interesting is that if you compare, and this is just for your information, if you compare the phrase in him and use John's literature and Paul's literature, it's different. Primarily, when Paul talks about being in Christ, what's he talking about? Our position, our relationship. Not so with John. With John, he's talking about our fellowship, our connection to Christ. Okay? And so it's different. Um, that's just a little extra for you to know. But I want you to understand that this was not John, as he's writing this, he had, he had heard this language. He heard this idea of abiding and how important it was. I want you to take your Bibles and go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Not only is there a connection in 1 John as it relates to these prepositions of in him and abiding in him. But there's the language that John uses that is similar to the language of our Lord. And John was with him as he is saying these things. In John chapter 15 and verse 4, Jesus is talking to who? He's talking to the 11, okay? Judas has already left the room. So who's he talking to? Those that what? Belong to him. They were already, as we're going to see, they were already clean. All right? He says to them, abide in me. You is the understood subject. You abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. What does the Lord want to see from believers? Usefulness. Fruit. We talk about fruit all the time. You want to walk? Being pleasing to the Lord, glorifying Him, producing fruit, you got to abide. Okay? And we're not talking about salvation there. All right? These guys are already saved. They belong to the Lord. You say, Thad, how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 3, back up to verse 3 of John 15. What does he say to these disciples? You are, what, already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You're like, where, what's he talking about? Does that give us a little bit to think about? It absolutely does. Well, go back in your Bibles. A couple of chapters previous, John chapter 13. Before Judas leaves the room. Okay? That's the context of this. If you do not have your Bible... Or your phone, which some use, or your iPad, or whatever it is. It's up there on the screen for you. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is what? Completely clean. He's clean. And you are clean. So he specifically says to Peter, you are clean. Now, why does he say that? Here we go. But not all of you. Uh-oh. Who's not clean? Judas isn't clean. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Are you clean? Are you clean? Do you know the Lord as your Savior? Have you been washed? Have you been regenerated? I have. I'm clean. But remember what John said in chapter 1 for those who are clean. My position is I'm clean. But my practice is what? I'm not always clean. I need to confess. Remember that in 1 John chapter 1? He tells these believers that's what you need to do. So there's a distinction then between one's position and one's practice or between salvation and sanctification. And in the context of John 15, he is talking to those who are already clean. So that when you study John 15 and you consider abiding, it's very important you consider the context. Because you can get off into never, never land and think, well, if a person doesn't abide, then he's not saved. Is that what he's saying? It's not what he's saying. But now, to be fair, some believe that. Some good theologians. But from what I can tell, just studying on my own, they're already clean. What they need to do is abide in him. They need to dwell with him. They need to remain with him in order that they can bear what fruit? And in order that they can love as he loved, which he talks about in chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. So John says, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So this abiding principle is very key for us. It's something that I would have to say in all my years as a Christian. I may have heard it at Southeastern several times. And as I, as I did seminary several times. But I don't know if I heard it in Christian language in the church a whole lot. How about you? The importance of abiding in the Lord. And do you know this is not the only time he's going to talk about this in the, the epistle. Over and over and over again, abide, 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 abide. Dwell with the Lord. I couldn't help but think, and I wasn't going to share it, but I can't get it off my mind, and that has to be the Spirit of the Lord. I believe that saying to me, hey, Thad, 
I've showed you something that's very important that talks about the issue of abiding, not only uh, me abiding with the Lord, but the Lord abiding with me. And I want to just share it with you because I think it's important that you know that the language of abiding and fellowship is not just in John, okay, the epistle. But this issue of fellowship, this issue of abiding, this issue of dwelling is all through the scriptures. You remember when Jesus gives the message to the Laodicean church? You remember? In verse 20 of that chapter, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. You say, well, that's, that's a salvation verse. It's not. When I was a kid, it was. I heard it all the time. And, and, and I was like, well, that's a salvation. But it's not in the context. Who's he writing to? The believers in Laodicea. And what's he talking about in verse 20? Fellowship. Fellowship. It's communion. Listen, the perfect, to me, one of the most perfect examples, uh, contrasting position and practice is, I am the husband of Teresa. I live with her. And she lives with me. But did you know that there are some who are married who live in the same house but don't fellowship? Is that possible? In a marriage. Answer, yes. Is it possible for a believer positionally to be in Christ and not fellowship with the Lord? Happens. In fact, you're considering it right now. You have to be. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that Arkansas lost last night in the Elite Eight. If you were thinking about me last night, I appreciate it. I was over it immediately. Well, I think I'm over it. So this issue of abiding is all through the scriptures. It's in the language in Revelation. It's in the language of John. It's in the language of of the book of James. It's in the language of Hebrews. Where it's not, it seems to be, it's not too much discussed in the 21st century church. Which maybe that's why my spirit's been troubled because um, I would confess that for years I focused more on position and less on sanctification or practice. Just being honest with you. So when John says abide, he's talking about the issue of dwelling with the Lord, residing with Him. Well, we move now to the claim. Notice verse 6 of 1 John chapter 2. Here it is. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. 
I wonder in my lifetime, I'm not going to talk about your lifetime, how many times I considered that before I started studying 1 John. I'm not saying I hadn't looked at it before, but I'm talking about consider it. I'm talking more than just a casual glance. I'm talking about, hey, hold on a second. This bar set really high. And the standard for walking is him. It's not you. It's not me. It's him. Who was with him? John was with him. This is a great time of the year, and I'm going to give it to you this week. I don't know what you guys um, think that I do. I have no idea <laughs> what you think I do. I do all kinds of stuff. But one of the things that I, I do and I've intended to do, and I haven't done it yet, but it, it's on my little pad in my office. I've been giving you Bible reading to do, as you would like to. But one of the great things about this time of year as we come into Easter is to read about the life of Christ around that. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break it down for you uh, this next week. And you should get it by the 1st of April. It's hard to believe we're almost to April. And that's no fooling. We're almost into April. And um, I want to give you between sometime this week and Easter an opportunity to recall the exact events around the crucifixion and, and the resurrection of Christ. Because it's important to consider what he did, his life, what he said. Um, notice what the expectation is here. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner. That word same manner is just as. Just as. So the expectation is that one would walk just as he walked, as Jesus walked. You remember when those little bracelets came out, what would Jesus do, right? And that was years ago. Some of you young people might not even know they had bracelets that said that, but there was a bracelet that came out, WWJD, right? And, and people would wear them, and, and people would be talking about what what did Jesus, you know, what what would Jesus do? And as as time marched on, I thought, why why not give it a different name? What did Jesus do? Not what would he do? What did he do? Because what he did we learn from so that we can do. See. So the standard here is very high. We must walk as he walked. The word there, I love some Greek words you just want to say, right? Like, I'm sure there are some Hispanic words, Dean, that just sound really cool, right? Um, say this one with me, parapateo. Not potato, parapateo. <laughs> parapateo. Parapateo. It's used several times in the New Testament. Um, it, 
in the metaphorical sense, speaks of one's behavior. This is why I said earlier that it gets uncomfortable. You may not be uncomfortable with the one next to you, but, but the Lord, you know, may make you a little uncomfortable when we consider how we live. So it's ordering uh, one's behavior. It's living one's life, Kenneth Weiss says, in accordance with the Lord and His Word. Um, that's the expectation. Now, if that's the expectation, then we ought to know how He walked. So I thought, well, if we need to know how he walked, then that's my job to go through and kind of take a look at it. And in the context of what we're doing with 1 John and the Gospel of John, I thought, well, I'm just going to look at that section um, where Christ is in the upper room. What can we learn about just his walk and, and his talk and his behavior with the disciples? Before Judas walked out of the room... We have the Lord walking in humility. Our Lord walked in humility. One of the things that we struggle with at times is to define terms. Um, humility, I think, is one of those. Um, Paul kind of gives us some, some things to think about in relationship to humility. In Philippians chapter 2, listen to what he says. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Here's how it fleshes out. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Oh, I've got that down. I'm kidding. But listen to what he says. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest. So he doesn't say don't look out for your own personal interest. I've heard people teach that. It's wrong. We need to look out for our own personal interest, but we're not first. So he walked in humility. He did something that I, you just envision what the feet of fishermen must have looked like. Wonder what a podiatrist would say about Peter's feet. Disgusting, right? One of the things that children find out <laughs> as they get older, when they start caring for their parents, is how disgusting their feet are. Take care of your feet. I'm just going to tell you right now, my feet are disgusting. I wouldn't want you to have to take care of them. When I was in college... One of the unfortunate things that took place as I played basketball is we didn't have individual showers. You get my point? So everybody's together. And your feet are together. And some people are more disgusting than others. But can you imagine what it must have been like 
if you were one of the disciples and he was washing your feet. He walked in humility. Practically, that means I believe the Lord may ask us to do things that at times we believe are beneath us. He walked being an example. He says so, and that's why I put it. He walked being an example to the disciples. And remember, Judas was still in the room at this point. That's what's amazing to me. One of the amazing things about him washing the disciples' feet is that he did wash Judas' feet as well. I think that gives us a little picture of our love that we're to have for others who aren't clean. Does that make sense? Kind of like what Ron mentioned earlier. He said, you know, Christ saw the multitudes and he did what? He felt compassion for them. You know what? I have to be honest. Sometimes we can look at the crowds and say, get out of our way. You're bothering me. <laughs> right? How many examples of that do we have? Standing in a line, people cutting you off. Those are all fun things. He walked in victory. Now, you weren't with me in my office whenever I was working on this. But I'm just telling you, this is where the Lord led me. He's like, that victory, what are you talking about? John 14 is pre-what? Pre-cross. And he's talking to his disciples, Judas out of the room. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places... If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. What's he claiming right there? Victory. He walked in victory. We always begin with ourselves. There's been times in my life I've walked like I've been defeated. Victory in Jesus. There's victory. He's claiming victory. He's telling these guys who he already knows are ancient, anxious because he's just told them, hey, I'm leaving where I'm going now. You can't come now, but you'll come later. He's relieving their anxiety and he's claiming victory. Guys, there's victory in Jesus. No matter what you're going through in your life, there is victory in Jesus. There were the verses. I forgot I put them up there for you. Oh, well. I like what he says. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to heaven. Is that what it says? To myself. That's where, guys, by the way, that's where the rest and the peace and all that is. It's with him. That's why we must dwell with him. That's why we must abide in him. I like verse 27 too. He walked being sensitive to his own. Remember I just told you they were fearful. They were anxious about what he said. But he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So he walked with sensitivity to his own. We need to walk with sensitivity to the body of Christ. Being sensitive to where people are. Like I said earlier, when people walk in a building on a Sunday morning, not everyone's doing well. But they've got the church answer for you, which is, I'm doing great. One morning I challenge you, encourage you, be honest. Like I was with someone who said this morning, how are you doing? I was like, I'm feeling weird today. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how that sounds to you. Probably weird. But I'm just like, I, I don't know. I think it's just the heaviness of the stuff. Now, wasn't the Lord good to his disciples? Giving them what they needed. And guys, listen to me. And this is key. Because he wasn't going to leave them alone. He says, I've been with you and I will be in you, Holy Spirit. And do you know what we have? We have the Spirit of God living in us if we belong to him. Victory? Yeah. Peace? There is no peace like the peace that the Spirit of God can give to us. He walked glorifying his Father. Chapter 17 and verse 4 of John's gospel. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do, which was still ahead of him. He walked glorifying his father. So that's a challenge for us that we would walk glorifying our Lord. He walked respecting his father. Look what it says in John 17, 11, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. We obviously should be respectful of our Lord because the world's not going to be, and the world is not. They use phrases like the man upstairs. Does that bother you? That bothers me. They use his name in vain. When I was a young person, it bothered me then. Not enough, but it bothered me. And as I've gotten older and older and older, I just can't stand to hear it. He is the God of all creation. He is holy, holy, holy. He's not the man upstairs. He's not a glorified Santa Claus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so when we worship through song and through the word, we're mindful of that. He walked respecting his father. He walked praying to his father. Did you know that he thought of you and me? <laughs> That's good stuff, man. Like, he thought of us then. Yes, he did. Look what it says. 
I do not ask on behalf of these alone, the disciples alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. And generation after generation after generation, the word's handed down, and one day you believed. Jesus, in the upper room, was praying for you. Think about how much we value when a person says to us, I'm praying for you. <laughs> the Lord's praying, prayed past tense for us. But those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He prayed to his father. Many occasions, there's other scriptures. It's not exhaustive, obviously. But he prayed before he chose the twelve. He prayed at the tomb of Lazarus. He prayed at the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. He prayed at the transfiguration. He prayed. It was his lifestyle. It's not so much the lifestyle of the church today. But it needs to be. It was in the early church. They gave themselves over to prayer, the Bible tells us. So this word walk, when we say, how did the Lord walk? That's just like, you know, just a little clip of his life. And that's just in four chapters. Go before and you run across verses like Ron quoted today. Seeing the multitudes. He had compassion. Well, this word peripateo is used. This is where I want to kind of close our time. I want you to take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 4. The word is used in two chapters in some very practical ways that can help us in our walk with the Lord. I think in order to gain context to appreciate, and I'm just going to have you run through this. I do not have slides on this. So you're going to have to use your Bibles and use your fingers or use your thumb, whatever it is you're using. Chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 give us context. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, the church exists to glorify the Lord. The Bible tells us in chapter 4 verse 1 how we are to walk in light of bringing glory to the Lord. Therefore, I the prisoner... Of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So he says, first of all, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. It's a picture of scales, that word is. And so it means like, what I say or my position and what I do or my practice. So in other words, 
my practice should line up with my position. That's a pretty strong point that Paul makes. So I'm to walk worthy of the call, and he tells me how I can do that. He tells me that I can do that, or I should do that, with humility and gentleness, with patience, and so forth. So his point at the end of that is so that the church would be unified. So I need to consider my walk as it relates to my position and my practice. And then you march on to chapter 4, verse 17, and he talks about this word walk again. He uses the same term. Verse 17, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord, and he's talking to believers that you no longer that, excuse me, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. You don't do that. There are times when we walk like the world. There are. But he said, you don't do that. You don't walk like the Gentiles. They're darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Boy, you read this and you're like, man, that's where man is today for certain. Having become callous, they have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That's the United States today. That's how it looks. We live in a godless culture. The church, listen, has an opportunity like never before to stand out. Notice what he says. But you, believer... You did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So he says here, don't walk like the Gentiles. This is not what you learned. So when someone says we don't need to walk like the world, does that make sense? It does make sense. So when the world talks about hopeless, we talk about hope. Right? Because the world is going to talk about hopeless. But we need to talk about hope, and that hope is in Christ. When the world talks about revenge, how do we talk? Forgiveness. How much forgiveness? Two or three times, Lord, that's all I can stand. Or is it over and over and over and over and over again? So he says, don't walk like the pagan. And then, the third usage is in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. But context is important because, back up in verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Class, what grieves the Holy Spirit of God? Yeah, somebody said it out loud. Sin. Grieves the Spirit of God. He says, do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Is it possible that we can grieve the Spirit of God? Answer, yes. 
And what's amazing about verse 30 is that although at times I grieve the Spirit of God, I have been sealed for the day of redemption. You say, well, what's the big deal? I'll tell you the big deal. Once you're in Christ, you're in Christ. No one can separate you. Even at times, the raunchiness in our lives cannot separate us from the love of Christ if we're in Him. So then he says, verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. That is a progressive list. The terms get harsher as you move on. Along with all malice. Put all that away. That's not to be a part of you as a believer. But he says, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving each other. Just as God and Christ also has forgiven you. In other words, the measurement of our forgiveness is Christ. Then he says, therefore, be imitators, mimics. That's the word mimic. Be mimics of God as beloved children and walk in love. I'm warning you about next week. It's about hating your brother. So if you don't want to hear that, stay home. Because the bottom line is the Lord calls us to love our brothers. I haven't met anybody yet who hasn't had an issue with their brother or sister in Christ at some point. The question becomes, have I resolved that issue? Like I said, you may want to stay home. He says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Notice that's past tense. Loved you and gave himself up for us and offering a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Walk in love. Walk in love. Walk in love. Walk in love. Then, chapter 5, verse 8. Look what it says. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Position. But then he goes to practice. Then, walk as children of light. This is who you are. This is what you need to to look like. This is how you need to walk. Walk as children of light. Verse 9. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. I like this next word. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Process. Process. This is where we have to be patient in our discipleship. If you're discipling someone and and they just got saved, please don't expect them to be where you are right away. They have things in their lives. Guess what? The Lord is going to show them through the Word of God. You're going to get to help them with that. So he says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So we need to walk as children of light. And then the final usage of peripateo is in chapter 5, verse 15. But we're going to begin in verse 13. He says, But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Why? Because the days are good. 
Because the days are evil. The days are evil. So then be fool, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he gives you the key to walking and pleasing the Lord. And that's being filled with the Spirit. So he uses five times in two chapters that same term. Now you could spend all afternoon looking at those two chapters. And that's enough, is it not? How does the Lord want me to walk? This is how he wants you to walk. This is how he wants me to walk. So it's important that I understand as a believer this issue of abiding. That I need to remain connected daily to my Lord and my Savior. Do you want to be like the Lord Jesus? When I played basketball in the 1980s at Southeastern Bible College, I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Don't laugh. <laughs> Not six foot six. I couldn't quite move with the ball like him. He could palm the ball. I could never do that. I can palm a ping pong ball. <laughs> but I can't palm a basketball. But I didn't know any basketball player back in the 80s that didn't want to be like Michael Jordan. Everybody wanted to be like Michael Jordan. And do you know his name still comes up? Because what are people doing? They're comparing and contrasting Michael Jordan with LeBron James. I'm here to settle the score. The best player was Michael Jordan. Just get over it if you're one of those LeBron fans. But everybody wanted to be like Mike. Guys, can I encourage you? The standard for us is not Michael Jordan or LeBron James, certainly. The standard for us is not a pastor or a missionary. The standard for us is Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being able to dwell with you. It's kind of a hard concept to understand in some ways. Lord, it's very important because... We want to walk to please you. In order to do that, Lord, we, we need to be abiding with you. It's something that, I mean, I've been saved 50 years, and surely I, I believe it, I've considered it, but, but going back through it, I mean, just like the importance John puts on this, especially considering the culture of the day and everything going on. But when we look at today, our culture, there's a lot going on. And people need to see that we belong to you. They don't just need to hear it. They need to see it. So I pray that you would help us to remain with you, to dwell with you, or that you would dwell with us, that you would, that we would, <laughs> that we would just enjoy your fellowship. And Lord, from what I can understand, fellowship is with you, and it's around your word. And so as we're exposed to your word, then we're going we're, we're gonna to be thinking about these things. Lord, I just want to pray for this family in here that belongs to you, those who are in Christ. I, I don't know how many of your family are in this room. But if they are in you, they belong to you. 
I pray for their walk. I pray for my walk. That we would walk in a manner worthy of our calling. That we wouldn't get so busy thinking about accomplishing things that we forget to dwell with you. To rest with you. To consider the things that you have said to us. Lord, it's amazing. You want that with us. You desire that with us. So I pray you would help us by your spirit that lives in us to desire that daily fellowship with you. And for those that don't know you today, Lord, in this room, I pray they could, would come to a point of understanding that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins. And Lord, he, he was buried and he rose again. But Lord, just to think about the fact that eternal life is available through Jesus Christ the Lord, if one would come by faith and believe in what you did, Lord Jesus, on the cross and dying for our sins. Because when one believes, they're going to understand that they're a sinner. <laughs> they're going to understand that. They're not going to understand all the things that go along with that to begin with. But they're going to understand their need for a Savior. So I pray that today your spirit would work in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls today. To convict them of their sin and their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be vessels that are clean, that are useful for your honor and for your glory. And I pray as we leave today that we would encourage one another uh, as members of the body of Christ. And all this I pray in, in his wonderful name. Amen. You are dismissed. Oh, Bob part two. I, I, I promise I'm not going to make a habit of this. But if, if we were one of those amen churches, I'd be saying amen. Uh, it's so important that we understand our position and our uh, in Christ and our condition in, as we walk in the world. I was uh, doing an exposition in um, uh, Exodus where... Uh, God told Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And it uh, dawned on me that he wasn't telling them to let them go because they're suffering in Egypt. He told them to let them go so they can go and fellowship. So that they could go out and let my people go so that they can worship me. And uh, I'm thinking uh, these things that we're hearing these last two weeks about our position and our condition, our sanctification and our justification are very, very important for us to get a clear understanding of because it has an effect on our personal evangelism. Are we presenting people with sanctification or are we presenting them with justification? If we're telling them of our testimony and we're telling them of all the things that God has done in our lives and how our lives have changed since we've invited Christ into our lives and then we tell them to invite Christ into their lives, are we presenting 
justification or are we presenting sanctification? I think of a story, I, I got so many stories. But there was a, a time when um, there was a group of uh, young people that came from Manila to uh, fellowship with our church in Nanshakan in the Philippines. They had to walk six hours to uh, come to our village and um, share uh, our uh, worship time with us. So they had to get up early in the morning to walk into our place. But they had heard that uh, there was a group of people in the mountains that uh, um, <clears throat> have heard the gospel for the first time. And they wanted to come and, and uh, just have a, a time of worship together with us. So they came and um, they looked around, and, and our people were very hospitable. They're very hospitable people. They had them for lunch. They're happy, and they saw these guys packing up their stuff to go out and outreach, and they're looking around. They, our people don't have much, but they're always willing to share. And they're always happy. And so the, one of the teenagers that uh, came in there said to me, I don't understand these people. They have so little, but yet they're so happy. They're so responsible. They're going out on outreach, and, and they're just so thrilled to come and worship and, and, and take care of us. I said, what, what is it about them? I said, well, why don't you ask one of them? So uh, I uh, called, oh, what was his name? Benito. Benito. Benito was a young fella who had cut off his, he, he uh, cut off his thumb. He was working and chopping, and they really... Uh, value their ability to do things with an axe and with a machete and, and everything. Well, he was working and he uh, sliced his thumb and he got so mad at himself that he cut it off. Now, he wasn't the sharpest guy in our village, <laughs> but he was the closest guy. So I said, Benito, come over here. They, this lady has a question for you. And uh, she said, we don't understand. Why, why are you people so happy you have so little? And you're so responsible to go out and outreach. Well, the guys are getting ready, and they're talking about going here and going there. And, and we don't understand that. And she, he just was very confused and thinking, are these Christians? And he said to to her very simply, he said, you know, we don't have much, but it doesn't change the fact that Christ paid the penalty for our sin. And that's what we're trusting in, and that's what provides us with the responsibility, the joy, and the happiness as believers. Can I tell one more story? Guy came to fix our air conditioner this week. And uh, 
whenever somebody does come to our place, he's going to hear the gospel. Um, so when he finished fixing our air conditioner, and by the way, I'm, I'm OCD. And uh, when, when he was working on it, he left a wire up there. So I, that, that really bothered me. So I went to pick the wire out and I said, <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, I'm OCD. He says, yeah, my father is too. <laughs> he says, in fact, my father is the one that installed this whole thing, whole system that he was fixing. And so when he was uh, finished with his work, I been talking to him. He was petting my dog. And uh, I said to him, let me ask you a question. When you stand before God on Judgment Day, do you want to be able to uh, appeal to his mercy or his justice? I shared that in one of the messages that I gave here. And that's what I always ask people. One fellow said to me, uh, he was he uh, was a tow truck driver. He came to pick up my car, and uh, so I said, "Before you go, I want to ask you a question." He said, "You want to be able to when you stand before God's judgment, you want to be able to appeal to His mercy or His justice?" He said, "Oh, uh, justice, I guess." He didn't know that's the right answer. And I said, uh, I am really glad I, to meet you. I have never met anyone who was absolutely perfect. Because if you're perfect, you can, you know, stand before God's justice because his, he only has one standard, and that's absolute perfection. Oh, 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 I, I'm not perfect, he said. Oh, I said, uh, well, I got the impression that you were perfect because you could depend on God's justice. Well, of course, I, I uh, shared with him that uh, one who was perfect came and paid the penalty for our sin. And he, because of what he did, he satisfied God's justice. So I said, you had the right answer, but you didn't know why. This fella that had the, did the air conditioning, I said, uh, oh, so when I said that to him, he said, he took my, this, this uh, tow truck driver, I forgot the end of the story. The tow truck driver, he said, uh, he took my place, didn't he? He understood the gospel. This, to this other fellow, he said, uh, oh, I, I want to be able to appeal to his mercy. I said, uh, well, if Christ paid the penalty for sin and he satisfied God's justice, then we can appeal to his grace, his justice. Because in order for, if you put your faith in what Christ did on your behalf, if God was able to punish you, that would be like double jeopardy, wouldn't it? And he said, uh, yeah, he says, I'm changing my answer. <laughs> <laughs> he 
See, what I'm trying to say is that when we understand that we are acceptable to God because of what Christ did, but if we tell people what we, what, how our lives were changed, and then if they ask Jesus into their lives, their lives are going to change, and if they don't, then they say, well, that doesn't work, or maybe I did the wrong thing. We're presenting them with sanctification. We are actually lowering our message to the same level as every other religion. Do this, and God will do something in your heart. Well, this is so important that we understand the difference between our relationship and our fellowship. Let's pray again, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Thad. We thank you for the message he's brought these last two weeks. And we pray that you would just impress upon our heart the importance of understanding these things and the implication it is in our own personal evangelism that we would present people what Christ has done on our behalf to satisfy you and that they would put their trust in that not in something they did, not in some prayer that they made, not in some commitment that they have made. And Father, we just pray that you would constantly be reminding us of that. And we thank you for that, and thank you for his time of study, and we thank you for this presentation this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.